I'm a deacon here at Sherwood Oaks. For the past eight weeks, I've been co-facilitating a racial reconciliation class here at the church. I've really enjoyed this class and we've all learned so much. I am an irrigation specialist for the city of Bloomington. I'm responsible for getting water to the right places. If a pipe is broken, my job is to repair that pipe to get it back into operation so that water can continue to flow. To me, racial reconciliation is a lot like mending pipes. Some of my coworkers were interested when they heard about this class, and I've invited them to come to be a part of it. Two have been coming, and another two hope to come when we offer our next class this fall. Our focus as a business is mentoring high school students to prepare for college and to do so affordably for their families. We at Class 101 are the people that many of these students confide in. Some struggle with loneliness, isolation, finding themselves in a very dark place, especially during COVID. Many this year have tried to end their own lives. Some of these students have never had the chance to learn about Jesus or his love for them. While it's not possible for us to preach to them, we do have the chance to show them that there is much to live for and that they're more loved than they realize. We get to be with them through some of the most difficult times and some of the most rewarding times. In September of 2018, I was diagnosed with a rare cancer called leiomyosarcoma which is a cancer that can attack any soft tissue in your body, so it can pop up virtually anywhere. In the last two and a half years, I've had two major surgeries and about six different chemotherapy treatments, both oral and IV, and what a journey that has been. I have a husband and three sons, so I'm definitely busy. And besides that, I became a registered nurse in 2015, which is a second career for me. I have the privilege of working on the mother-baby unit at the hospital, helping new mothers and their newborns. I love it, I feel God led me to it, it's my calling, but of course it's been very difficult at times to keep working. But I keep trying, taking just one day at a time and clinging to my living hope. The biggest thing I've learned is that God is sufficient. Even these huge things that we cannot understand, so many people are praying, you still don't get the answer you want. God is still sufficient and He is sovereign. My prayer is that I can bring Him glory somehow in my suffering. I certainly have experienced His strength in my weakness. He has brought me through so much, as have my friends and family and my Tuesday morning Bible study girls. The body of Christ is so beautiful. Morning, 11 o'clock service. Those of you who are here with us in the room, those of you who join us online, just want to uh, take a moment as we get started to, to welcome you and let you know that we are so glad that you are here. We're in week nine of our series through First and Second Peter that we've called Exiles. And, and this is the, the midway point. Uh, it's a 17-week series. We'll wrap it up on August 1st. And, and so at the midway point, uh, I kind of thought, let's do something a little different than, than what we normally do. And so today we're, we're pushing pause on our study uh, to talk to some folks right here within our church about how they are living out some of what we've talked about over the last um, eight weeks. And, and so the folks who, who are with me today, they would say they're just ordinary people. 
who are living out and trying to live out an extraordinary faith uh, that's making a difference in the lives of those around them. And so this morning, I am so pleased to be joined by Cami, John, and Josefa. Can you help me welcome them to the stage this morning? I have to do a one-handed clap for you. <laughs> Well, thank you all so much for, for joining us. And I know that you all would be the first ones to say, like, you're not up here because you have this all figured out or because you have all the answers and you're gonna impart all of the wisdom and knowledge onto us. You're here though as people who are struggling and wrestling through and, and trying faithfully to figure out what does it mean to live out our faith in this culture where sometimes it can be difficult, but it's also filled with a whole lot of blessings and a whole lot of joy. So thank you so much for, for joining us. Um, and I asked you to be a part of this panel, this discussion today, because I do think that you have some really good wisdom to, to teach us and, and to share with us about what it means, again, to live as an exile. And so let's start there, uh, because that's where Peter starts. Uh, if you've been with us for a little while, you may remember Peter starts off the, this letter that he writes as to, he starts it in this way, to God's elect exiles scattered throughout kind of the, the known world. And so right at the beginning, he gives us some identity of who we are. We are chosen by God, but part of our identity is that we are exiles. We live in this world, but we're not of this world. This world and this place is not our home. And so when you think about in your own life, in your own faith, about what it means to be a spiritual exile, what are some things that, that come to mind? Um, for me, it's just living in a place that's not my permanent home. Um, I experienced that the most when I lived in Thailand because I was the first Westerner to ever have lived in that village. And so it's an understatement wow. to say that I stood out um, <laughs> and I was different and I didn't fit in. Um, and so just um, getting an opportunity to kind of rediscover who I was and most importantly with who I was in Christ yeah. and let, letting that carry over to wherever I am in life to let that be my identity. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Um, what comes to mind when I think of exile to me is um, oppression. Um, I, th I work with, um, through my job, I work with community members. And so when I work, uh, when I get to know them, I am able to see that there are um, asylum seekers. They're seeking asylum because they're being persecuted at their, on, on their um, country. So they're seeking um, a place where they can be safe. So there's a lot of um, prosecution. I think about prosecution. I think about, um, sorry, persecution. I think <laughs> about um, um, just depression, all yeah. struggles. Yeah. And you've, you mentioned earlier, you've met with some folks who, when they arrive, I mean, they're just in a state of despair. Uh, but you've met with some folks who see God kind of working and moving, even in the midst of a new situation and a new land where they, where they find themselves. John? So I moved to Bloomington, Indiana uh, about 22 years ago. I moved here. I didn't know anybody. I didn't know any of the streets. All of the streets change names as you just go, you know, a block. Down. <laughs> right? so yeah. I had to learn all of that. But the, the, the biggest thing, I think, was getting into a community. And I was able to do that here at Sherwood Oaks. Now, just going through meeting different people of how I've got here to Sherwood Oats, that helped me with that, that being, that, that just being away from home. I had 
didn't know where I was. I didn't know anybody. I didn't know what to do. Uh, you know, what do I do on a rainy day uh, or a cold day? Uh, you know, and I'm struggling with, with God saying, you know, surely you wouldn't put me in a place where it's colder outside than it is in my refrigerator. <laughs> so, but it's all, it's all good. It's all been good. Well, we're so glad that he did bring you to Bloomington and to Sherwood Oaks. But I think what I'm, what I'm hearing is kind of this common thread that to live as an exile is to be in a place that like, you know, just always, it feels a half degree different than maybe what you're used to. It feels just a, just a touch and you just don't really feel like home here, but yet you're trying to find your way and you're trying to work towards the good of it. And, you know, you have each had experiences like that from a very physical standpoint in your life and how that has translated to spiritually. You know, that's kind of how we walk through this world as, as exiles. We live here, we work for its good, but, but we know that our residency is someplace else. And in the meantime, we just try to live as faithful as we can right here. And what I, I take so much comfort in knowing that we're wrestling through this now, you know, 21st century, we're, we're trying to figure out what does that mean for us um, in our day? But that's not a unique struggle just to us. Uh, this is, Christians have been trying to figure this out from literally the very beginning. And there's a, there's a letter that's been uncovered that uh, was written, they think sometime around second, third century, uh, that gives a glimpse into what the early Christians were like. So how these first followers of Jesus were trying to figure out how to live in their culture. And this letter was written to a guy named Diognetus. And, and this is what it says. And the person writing it, describing Christians, says they are not different from the rest in their nationality, language, or customs. They live in their own countries, but as sojourners, people who are passing through. They fulfill all their duties as citizens, but they suffer as foreigners. They find their homeland wherever they are, but their homeland is not in any one place. They are in the flesh, but they do not live according to the flesh. They live on earth, but are citizens of heaven. They obey all the laws, but they live higher than that required by the law. They love all, but all persecute them. He's trying to wrap his mind around why this group of people would live and act and love the, the way that they do. And we've, we've said all throughout this series that there's a few different ways that Christians can engage in the culture. Uh, one of them is you can just isolate from it, just completely remove yourself from culture, try to stay as far away from it as you possibly can. Uh, and, and then another way is the opposite of that, kind of swing the pendulum all the way to the other side where we just kind of conform to the culture. There's nothing about us that looks any different than the world around us. Uh, some people try to combat culture, constantly fighting up against culture, almost see it as a, as a battle that we need to, to win and that they need to lose. But I think Jesus points us to a different way of how we engage culture, how we live in our communities and in this world. And he calls us to be salt and to be light. So as you think about living out your faith in a culture that may not always agree with you or believe what you believe, what are some ways that you have found uh, that you're able to live as salt and light in this world? What does that mean to you? I think for salt, um, because salt makes things better. And so I hope to live my life in a way that makes the world around me better. Um, and then in terms of light, um, just shining Jesus where I am so that uh, hopefully 
people can have a better understanding and knowledge of, of who he is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because they see him in you. I hope yeah. so. Yeah, they do. <laughs> Believe me, <laughs> they do. Yeah. Say to me, when I think about salt and light, I think about um, preserving, what comes to mind is hope and faith. And so mm-hmm. how can I preserve that and share that to someone else and give them that light? Yeah. Yeah, not get bogged down in a world where, I mean, hope and faith are not necessarily two words that you would use <laughs> to describe our world and our, and our culture, but to bring that uh, to people as you interact with them. That's good. So, I, and I look at it sort of like that. What can I do? What is it that I can do to show the light? Mm-hmm. Salt is salt, but the food that the salt is applied to, that's, that's the change. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know, because if you eat it without the salt, it tastes one way, but when you add the salt, so I feel like for me, if I add that salt part, people are already looking at me. So, mm-hmm. I, you know, I want to be the best that I can be. Not saying that I'm not, I'm not going to make any mistakes because I'm right. going to make a lot of them. Yeah. But I don't want to tend to go in that same era with those mistakes. Yeah. So what can you do in that moment to bring the most life, to bring the most flavor? Uh, I've, I've heard people say that, you know, as Christians, we are to be salt, but a lot of Christians are just salty. <laughs> and that it's a, you know, maybe has a little bit different uh, into what we're trying to go for. But just, yeah, bringing that life and that hope and that grace and peace wherever, wherever we go. Yeah. It, In chapter two, verse 12, Peter tells us to live such good lives in this world, kind of like what we're talking about, that even though they may accuse us of a variety of wrongs, so to speak, of being, um, you know, in their minds, bigoted, narrow-minded, out of touch, uh, some people say believing in fairy tales and, and fool's talk, that even though they may not believe what we believe or even respond well to our faith, Peter tells us to live in such a way that when they see us, they're open to spiritual conversations. So can you share any ways that you have struggled or or faced some difficulties living in this world as a spiritual exile? Okay, I'll go first this time. (laughs) (laughs) Just this past week, I got so upset in a situation I had to go to the Lord and just say, you've got to forgive me for this. And see, that's going to happen to us. We're, we're going to have those problems. And we're, you know, everybody think when they see you, they, they think, oh, there's no problems there. You have problems. I have problems. But isn't it amazing, though, that we have somebody we can go to with those problems? Mm-hmm. See, we've got the book. Imagine in the early centuries, they didn't have the book. We have the book. We know the end of the story. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. Now John's just preaching. No, I just want to let you. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, um, growing up, I just remember I was struggling a lot, just a lot of suffering um, going on. There was a lot of obstacles, a lot of um, challenges, just everything at that time, at my young years. And I remember, I, so I remember one time um, 
it's so much, so much to talk about. But so one thing that I just wanted to share with this, um, in this case, particular question is how the struggles that we have, other people have it. And so when other people see what's going on, when you share, when I, I'm gonna give my example, when I share my um, struggle with my, um, my faith with someone, they kind of shut me down because um, they were asking me if there's a God, then why are we suffering and struggling so much? Um, and that's something that I then kind of avoided mentioning or sharing my faith with others um, because of the fear of getting, um, I'm not gonna say humiliated, but embarrassed, ashamed, um, just things that you know shouldn't happen to someone. Yeah. Yeah, or that you don't have answers to their questions. I think that we've put ourselves underneath a lot of a lot of pressure to think that if somebody asks us a question that we need to have like an answer. And at one of my favorite uh, accounts in Jesus' life is in John chapter nine. And it's a story of this man who is born blind and Jesus heals him and then leaves. And then all of a sudden, all these people are asking questions to this guy, you know, who did this? How did he do it? Where did he go? What do you know about him? Tell us, tell us. And the guy is just like, listen, I don't know. <laughs> I don't have the answers to all your questions. All I know is I once was blind, but now I see. Like it was his testimony that he, was, that he came. And I think as we live as exiles in this world, we do feel that pressure. But, but really, sometimes the most powerful tool that we have is just a story of what God has done in our life. Say, I once was this, but man, because of the grace of God, now I am this. Um, Cam, anything that, that you want to add to that? Some ways that maybe you've had some difficulties navigating through this world as, a, as an exile? Yeah, I think um, just for my heart's desire to be to make a difference in the world and to share Jesus and then figuring out what that looks like in the day to day and just maintaining expectations, whether it's my own or other people's. Um, I have to remind myself a lot that when I stand before the Lord someday that I'm gonna be there all by myself. It's just gonna be me and him. And so trying to live my life in the same way where he's the one that I'm pleasing and, and if I'm putting him first, then the fact that I'm putting people, that even people I love and care about second, that he's gonna take mm -hmm. care of that. Mm -hmm. That if I trust him and live for him being the one person I'm gonna please, that I have to trust that he'll fill in all the blanks yeah. everywhere else. Yeah, fill in those gaps. That's good. So Peter tells us in chapter one, verse three, that we have a living hope uh, because of the resurrection. He goes on in chapter two, says that we are living stones being built upon the cornerstone of Jesus Christ. And so how has the living hope of your faith given you new eyes to see people around you and maybe inspired uh, you to love them differently than you would have apart from your faith in Jesus? Well, we talk about community here a lot. So I've involved myself into a lot of things here at Sherwood Oaks. So I've, that way I can be a part of community. Uh, it was, this is a funny little joke here, but there was one guy that, you know, he and I, we just, just hit it off for the first day. And he happens to be a funeral director. Well, you know, that just scared me to death. But... <laughs> One day he saw me in a suit and he said, you know, John, you look good enough to bury. And I'm going, oh gosh, I, I, I'm going home to change right now. So, but I mean, just being a part of, you know, and it was all for fun and you, and I knew it was all for fun, but 
being in that community mm -hmm. here at Sherwood Oaks is, is what yeah. brings it out for me. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. So I think there's, um, there's hope in the midst of suffering. Mm -hmm. I know I've learned that sometimes when you respond back, when somebody insults you or um, you know, hurts you, you respond, some, the fast reaction is just doing something back to them. Mm -hmm. Well, rather than doing something bad, back at them, then I started praying for them. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I helped. And that's something, I mean, the world would look at and go, no, that's not how you do it. Like you get even, <laughs> but you're learning how in response to that living hope that's in you to say, okay, God, help me to forgive uh, this person. Yeah, Kimmy? I think living out my faith requires me to recognize that I couldn't do that if Jesus hadn't died on the cross for me first. Mm -hmm. And so just um, keeping that in mind helps me to see other people as also people that Jesus loved enough to die on the cross for. And so I think... Just trying to pay attention, um, seeing what needs that they have that only Jesus can meet, and the fact that he has given me an opportunity to be able to introduce them to Jesus, yeah. I think is amazing. So Yeah. And, and I know for me in my life, and probably for you all as well, there are times where, man, my eyes are wide open, and I see the needs around, and, and I feel like I respond faithfully. And then there are other times where, honestly, like, I don't. Um, whether because I miss it, I'm too busy, focus on what I'm going to do but also sometimes because I, I don't want to take advantage of that opportunity. Uh, I, I remember an instance 20, 21 years ago where I felt like God was calling me to do something very specific. And, and instead of following in obedience and in faithfulness, I pulled a, a Jonah and I went literally the other way of where God was calling me to, to go. And, and again, 21 years later, I still look back on that and I think, man, what, what opportunity did maybe the Lord have for me in that moment that I wasn't ready or willing to step in and, and take advantage of, to make the most of that opportunity, as Paul tells us. Can you all think of a time that you wish maybe you could have back or a time when you didn't follow in obedience and maybe how that changed changed you? Josefa? Yes, um, so I really wish I can get back go back to my teenage years um, because... Don't we all? Uh, <laughs> not because I want to look young, but I have learned, I wish I had known back then what I know now um, in my late 30s, something. <laughs> um, and something that I just uh, wish I could learn more about my faith, follow mm -hmm. through, not just stop, or every now and then when I want it. It hasn't been until the last um, maybe two, three years where actually I know God. Mm -hmm. I used to know God, but now I actually know God. Going from here to here. Yes. That, yeah. And so I remember um, as a teenager, there was a lot. I, I struggle, like I mentioned before. Um, I have to go to work. I have to go to school. I have to pay bills. I have to make a living, right? I have to mm -hmm. live or survive, how I used to say it. And, but going through that, and now where I am now, I know there's a purpose. I'm learning that there's a purpose for everyone. I have a purpose, purpose in general as well. But I know that I was never alone. And that's something that I used to think that, you know, why, por qué, why God, why, why me? And now I'm like, thank you, God. You know, there's a reason. And so, yeah. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. Well, as, as far as going back, you know, I grew up in the church, but 
after I got older, I, I drifted away and now I'm back. But earlier on, you know, I would go to church. My mom made me go to church. I was in church. I would, we would come home, we would eat dinner, and then, you know, we'd, she'd make us take a nap from until about 4 o'clock. Now, at, <laughs> at this time, <laughs> I kind of wish I could go back to that. Yeah. I, I missed that. But, but, but I'm, I'm glad all of that was instilled in me so I was, I'm able to see that that I missed early on, and I don't have to carry that into my older part of my life. Mm-hmm. And that's a little bit more than 30-something. <laughs> <laughs> Kimmy? Um, a very specific moment when I wasn't obedient and God redeemed it is uh, when I was a nanny, we had a group that would go to the underground station every week and just pray for people, talk to people. And one particular Friday night, I really felt like I was supposed to go, and I just didn't. I just did my own thing, and I don't even know why. Um, But the next week, I went, and I happened to see a girl crying and sitting up against the wall. And so I went over, and I asked her how she was, if there was anything I could, anything she wanted to talk about. And um, turns out she was in a real rough spot, and she was living as a prostitute, Hmm. and... um, just struggling. And so I asked her if I could pray with her. And she said, well, I don't believe in that, but I guess you can if you want to. And so mm-hmm. my response was, well, that's good because that's all I got. <laughs> um, and as I prayed with her, I just asked her, are there anything you're thinking about, any needs? And she said, well, if I'm going to get away from this life, which I want to do, I need to find a place to live. So we prayed about that specifically. Um, I gave her my number, yada, yada. So she calls that week. And she said, you're never going to believe it. And I was like, what? And she was like, I found a place. Wow. And so then she asked me to pray for something else specific, which God, of course, answered very specifically. And that happened a couple other times. And I think wow. by the end of it, it was so timely and so specific that I was amazed and as surprised as she was. And so I was sharing that with my friends, and they wanted to talk about it one night at church. So I said, okay, that's fine, until she showed up. So I went to him and said, you're going to have to talk about something different because she's here. (laughs) And at the end of that service, she prayed with some friends of mine and gave her life to the Lord. And so not only was I so thankful for that, but also so thankful that even in my disobedience, that God was faithful, that he let her be there the next week when I did what I was supposed to do, and that I didn't miss that opportunity. And so... Yeah, yeah, can we praise God for that? (laughs) That's amazing. Kimmy, now you're preaching. That's <laughs> beautiful. Uh, so living for Christ can uh, sometimes feel like we are swimming upstream in a culture that is rapidly going downstream. It can be hard. But while it can be very difficult at times, there is such a blessing in the life that we have been called to as followers of Christ. Uh, I believe it's in, in Proverbs. Someone says that there is a blessing that only the righteous know. That, that apart from faith that we may not know that blessing. What are some of the blessings that you have just experienced in your life as you have tried to faithfully live as an exile uh, in this world for Christ? Well, like I said before, just being a member here has, you know, just being in community, being around people, you've, you've got to put, your pe- you put yourself around people. 
You know, once you do that, I think the rest of it will work out on its own, especially in a good Christian community like it is here at Sherwood Oaks. Okay. Um, I think the way God blesses me is, uh, there's a million ways, and he brings me joy all the time, but I think answered prayer and just reminders that he's with me, and just one specific example. Um, When we were getting the shelter ready to open, we had one room yet to finish, and someone was going to donate a bunk bed. So they did, but they brought it, and they were like, we couldn't find the ladder. And so I'm like, well, I don't know what we're going to do with the bunk bed without a ladder. And so I immediately go into problem-solving mode. Somewhere mid-prayer, I hit a wall, and I was exhausted. And I was just like, Lord, you're going to have to take care of it, because I just can't. And so a few days later, I'm in Orleans for some reason, driving home, and a yard sale sign just sticks out. So I pull in. And at the yard sale, who wants to guess what is there? A ladder for a bunk bed with no bed. So I... It's a match made in heaven. It is. I'm jumping up and down. I'm crying. I'm laughing. I'm acting like a crazy person. And when I go up to buy it, she's like, well, we wondered who would buy a ladder with no bed. She goes, we don't even know where that came from. Wow. And so I'm like, straight from heaven. It's an answer to prayer. <laughs> so as often happens with me living as an exile, she's like, okay, you can buy your ladder and leave. Um, but just that reminder that God, there's nothing too small or too big um, that God can't handle and that he's paying attention and he's walking mm. with us. We're not alone. Amen. Yeah, and when we put ourselves in those situations where only God can move, then we get the joy of watching God move. Yeah. 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 Um, I feel blessed in general for everything that God has given me um, with all that I have, my family, my job, my everything. I mean, I couldn't stop mentioning every little detail that I I can that I'm blessed and thankful for. Um, But I'm also blessed. I feel I feel very blessed the fact that I'm able to pray. Prayers do work. And I'm also able to pray for others, especially those that hurt you. Mm-hmm. Um, not only that, but I also like the fact that I'm able to share this with my mom and that we both together are able to do that for someone else. For mm-hmm. the person that you least will expect it, we're both praying. Mm-hmm. And to me, when that happened the first time, um, in which I invited her to one of our Bible studies in, in Spanish with Iglesia Hispana, um, she was there. She, I told her, I, shared, I, I told her, I'm like, Mom, you don't have to say anything if you don't want to. And I understand because I was in the same boat as well. Like, I was kind of shy, timid. I didn't want to speak. And then when she did, I was like, thank you, Lord, Jesus Christ. You know, mm-hmm. this is a miracle. And not only that, but she also was able to pray for others that, you know, perhaps she disliked. Um, which my mom is beautiful and lovable and likes everyone. But yeah. just, just an example, like, of what... I feel blessed in general. Thank you all so much for joining me. Can we give them one more hand? I appreciate you all greatly. Uh, They've had three services. And so, uh, John, I hope you're able to get that nap this afternoon, man. We'll uh, we'll pray for you. So Peter writes uh, these these words. We, We looked at them in week four of our series, but I just kind of want to use them to guide our, our closing here today. It's in uh, chapter two, verses nine through 11. And he's talking to us, the church, those of us who are, who are in Christ. 
Um, and, he, and he says this, he says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. And why? why? Why does it matter that we are that and what do we do in light of that? Well, he tells us that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people. Once you were orphans, you were strangers, but now you are a people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So my question for us this morning is as you reflect on your own life, your own faith, how has the grace and the mercy that you have received in Christ made a difference, not just in your life, but in the life of those around you? Do people see Christ in you? Like when, when they're around you, do, do, they, do they experience something that is different than what they experience amongst everyone else that they rub shoulders with throughout the day? Is there something about their interaction with you that is like this cup of cool water on a hot day that, that is just refreshing because they see Jesus living in and through you? Are you intentionally investing in those around you, hoping that they will come to faith in Jesus or maybe grow in their faith even more? Do you walk through this world as an exile, looking for ways to be a blessing to others, to, to bring life to other people's life? God's grace compels us to, to many different things. Number one, it does compel us to gather here to worship, whether it be in person, online. God's grace compels us to gather for worship, but it compels us to so much more than that. It compels us to go out into this world and tell more people about Jesus and invite them into the grace that we have found in him. You see, the word church, ecclesia, it means the called out ones. And Peter has, has shown us this as our identity multiple times so far in this letter. And he's gonna continue to lean into that as we close out in the coming weeks. And so we have been called out. We have been given a grace that has pulled us out of this world to we're no longer of it. But he doesn't just call us out. God has sent us back in to this world. And he sent us into this world with a rescue mission to continue to tell more and more people about the love and the grace that we have found in Christ and that they can find it and experience it in their own life too. That is our mission. If you are a follower of Jesus this morning, listen to me, you are a missionary and your mission field is wherever you happen to find your feet. And so that doesn't, it does not matter if you're a teacher, if you work at a nonprofit, if you're an IT professional, if you're a server at a restaurant, if you are a retiree, Wherever you are, whatever you do, God wants to use you right there in that place to help people know, love, and follow Jesus more. And it's amazing that when you go into this world with arms and hands and palms open saying, God, here I am, send me, use me. It's amazing what he wants to do and will do in and through you. And so as we close today, my question is simply this, how are you joining God in his rescue mission for this world. Would you stand with me? Then I'll close this off in prayer. God, thank you so much for the grace that we have found in Christ. And Lord, I pray that we will not hold that grace on as if we are the only ones that you wanted to give it to. 
Father, may we release that and, and, and invite others to find it as well. Father, thank you for the stories. They have been inspiring. Thank you for the example of Jesus, who is our ultimate inspiration to go out and to go to people and to places and, and, and in ways to bring hope and to bring healing. God, use us this week. And for the person that's in here today, Father, who maybe feels like there's no hope in their life, maybe feels like there's no way that they can come to you after where they've been or after what they have done. Father, I pray that you will show them that your grace and your love, your mercy and forgiveness is made available through Jesus, even to them. God, may they embrace that in their life today. And I pray this in Christ's name, amen. Thank you for watching this message from Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. Did you know you can view any message from the past six years at socc.org slash messages? You can also view complete worship services from the past month at socc.tv.